Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Welcome into NFL Live on a very busy summer Friday. Dan Graziano here today with Josina Anderson, Dan Orlovsky, and Lewis Riddick. As of today, all 32 NFL teams are in training camp, but that doesn't mean every player is. Hmm. We've got holdouts in key spots. Saints Michael Thomas, Chargers Melvin Gordon. Who else? Yannick Ngakwe in Jacksonville. Trent Williams in Washington. Hmm. And, of course... Ezekiel Elliott in Dallas, the big one, the big name that everyone's watching out there in Oxnard, California. All guys that uh, are heading into either the final year of their deal or want some sort of adjustment on their contract before camp or the season starts. So we've got to go through all these. The person who helps us make sense of all this stuff is our own Adam Schefter. So, Adam, I'm going to make this pretty simple. I will give you a name and you tell us the latest on that player. Start with Ezekiel Elliott of the Cowboys. Well, Zeke Elliott has not shown up in Oxnard, California, site of the Dallas Cowboys training camp, and they are going through physicals today. They are basically supposed to be attending a team meeting, and there's no sign of Zeke right now, which tells you that it looks like, at the very least, the Zeke watch is underway, and it certainly feels like this is going to be a holdout while the two sides try to see if they can come up with a new deal for Zeke Elliott, but no signs of him in California just yet. And no signs of Melvin Gordon by the Chargers camp right now. Dan, this one is going to go on for a while. The two sides basically have their own stances. They have differing opinions of Melvin Gordon's value. I don't see this getting solved anytime this summer. I think this one looks like it has a real chance to go into the regular season, which means time for Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson. And no Michael Thomas in New Orleans still. You take the leading receiver off that team. The Saints have offered to make him the highest paid wide receiver in football. It sounds like he wants to get to a very high threshold north of $20 million a year. We'll see whether he can get there, whether the Saints are willing to budge. But Michael Thomas wants to become not just the highest paid wide receiver in football, but the highest paid wide receiver in football by a long shot right now while we all wait for a Julio Jones deal to potentially come in later this summer. All right, Adam, sit tight. We, uh, we'll come back to you as, uh, as needed. We're going to go back and talk about Ezekiel Elliott, though. How important has he been to the Cowboys? He's led the NFL in rushing yards per game in each of his first three seasons. The only other players to do that in the 99-year history of the NFL are Jim Brown and Earl Campbell. Perhaps you've heard of them. Both of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. Safe to say that few running backs have ever had a better start to their careers than has Ezekiel Elliott. So we look at this situation. He's got two years left on his deal. Mm -hmm. But if he's not showing up for the start of camp, obviously something's going on. What is going on with Ezekiel Elliott, Josina? Well, he would like to get a contract extension. And actually, prior to me coming here 
uh, to Connecticut yesterday. I talked to a source who expressed a positive update as far as those contract extensions. But as we know, with free agency, nothing is done until it's done. But I know that his quest is to be the highest paid running back in the NFL. And right now, you know that Todd Gurley is leading that market at 14.375. You got guys like Le'Veon Bell making 13.1 uh, an average per year. And then David Johnson has 13 million. The question for the Cowboys is how do you put into numbers what Ezekiel's value is financially. Some would say he means more to the Cowboys team than Todd Gurley means to the Rams team. The other thing that you have to look into is that the running back market really hasn't improved since 2011 when Adrian Peterson was making 14.3 nine years ago and the cap was 120 and now it's 188. That's an increase of 50%. And then you're also looking at how they actually add to the value of what they're doing in the receiving game. Todd Gurley, all those receiving yards uh, when he's a receiving back. Ezekiel Elliott did that more so last year, 567 receiving yards. So he also wants to be valued as a playmaker. So where is that number? Some would say that floor has to be at least no less than $15 million. So, yeah, this is a guy who's got one year left on his contract. Then they picked up the fifth-year option for 2020. Could theoretically franchise him in 2021. Knowing all that, how does that affect the way the Cowboys should approach this situation? Well, how they should and how they will are two different things, right? I mean, how they should, considering what his value is to this football team in particular, common sense would tell you, look, this is a guy who you need to lock up. This is a guy who obviously takes your team and takes it from one level to another, meaning from maybe a playoff-caliber team to maybe a Super Bowl-caliber team. You don't have him, then you have a big problem. That's that's the real-world implication. That's really what he means to this football team. Now, what will they do, given the fact that they can control his salary like the way they can via this year being his last year of his deal, then having a fifth-year option. We've already seen the precedent already set as far as what teams are really – how teams really will approach this kind of situation. They know that, again, and I've said this numerous times, if you can get a certain percentage of the production from a backup player or a replacement player, that will still allow you to be able to, as a team, compete at an acceptable level, at a playoff level. Teams will do that. I mean, look at the, the Chargers situation, although it's different – they already are taking the stance of, look, we have good yeah. enough replacements to where we can continue to still compete. I don't know if Dallas will do that with him. I, I doubt they'll do that with him. But that's why we're in this situation in the first place, because he recognizes it. And he's saying, look, I better get my money before they start using that argument against yeah. me. Well, the downside for Dallas in comparison to L.A. is the, the two guys that would be part of that production replacement are rookies. It's Tony yeah. Pollard out of Memphis and Mike Weber out of Ohio State. You have no idea what those guys are going to be like at the NFL level. I look at the Zeke situation twofold. One, if Ezekiel Elliott, let's say hypothetically, became a free agent today, you'd have 20 teams in the NFL knocking down, the, knocking down his door going, we'll, we'll give you whatever you want. You'll be the highest paid running back. And Jocini, you continue to mention Todd Gurley. The, the, the Rams don't regret paying Todd Gurley because of production. There's concerns over the knee, and there might be an outsider's perspective of do they regret the payment. But it's not because he didn't produce anymore. It's just, okay, is that the wear and tear on the knee worse than we initially anticipated? Ezekiel Elliott doesn't have any concerns with the health. There is no wear and tear concerns injury history-wise for him. There is with Melvin Gordon because he's had some. But Ezekiel Elliott, if, if, if he became a free agent today, would have 20-plus teams in the NFL willing to pay him top running back dollar. And the replacement people, you know nothing about. 
Yeah. And the joke about it is if you actually did account for the cap inflation, that would take his value to 22.3 million with the 50% increase. I'm talking about at an average at an average per year. Now clearly they're not going to pay him that, but the question is not so much that, you know, where does he compare in regards to Todd Gurley? You know that Todd Gurley's at 14.3 and you're right, he doesn't have those injury concerns, but what the Cowboys will likely do is try to bring up some of the things that have happened off the field, right. try to help bring his value down. But let's bring it back to brass tacks and what's black and white. Does he produce for you or not, right? Do you need him or not? And what's the impact on Dak Prescott if he's not in the offense? So let's expand this to include Melvin Gordon. Same position, obviously, a little different situation. Just one year left on his deal, a $5.6 million salary on the fifth-year option. You have those three running backs you named, right? Gurley and Le'Veon and David Johnson at $13 million plus. But then the next highest paid guy is Devontae Freeman at about eight and a quarter. Right. So that's a huge gulf. Right. If you're the Chargers and you're negotiating with Melvin Gordon and he wants to be in the first group and you want him closer to the second group, how does that get resolved? But you're bringing up Devontae question. Freeman's contract when he was averaging about $8.5 million a year. That was two years ago when right. the running back market cratered. Todd Gurley brought back the running back market now. So that argument, I think, was more prescient two years ago, but now it's back. And the question is, should it have even cratered before, particularly when you look at the cap money has gone up, but the salaries are not going up. So it, obviously on the player side, you don't know how, how apropos that is. Obviously the clubs are using that. Right. But Melvin Gordon at 5.6? Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. I mean, it's about, obviously, you know, contracts are about future performance. They're about the good old economic term called surplus value. Your performance value relative to the cost, all right? And every team is look, every team looks at that differently. And with, in the case of the Chargers in particular here, it really isn't even about the big picture as far as, look, to Melvin Gordon, he's looking at the market as far as what Todd Gurley is making, what Le'Veon Bell is making, what David right. Johnson is making. But the Chargers are looking at look, in our particular situation. Can we get the same kind of performance value? We're close to it relative at a much cheaper cost. We think we have that already on the roster. So that situation is going to be different. It may be different in Dallas where they don't know what they have right. in these two young backs. But you know what? Just knowing how personnel people think, they will say, well, you know what? The, Char- the San Francisco 49ers didn't really know what they had in Matt Breida either. Mm-hmm. Okay? But they gave Derek McKinnon a whole lot of money. Derek McKinnon gets hurt. Matt Breida comes in and boom, you're going... Well, you know, it would be nice to have Jarek McKinnon, but maybe he's more of a luxury than he is a necessity. I'm not saying that's the case with Ezekiel Elliott. I'm saying, though, teams take a much more economical approach and a much more objective approach and just say, hey, look, they're just kind of looking at it as we have so much money. We know we can get maybe relative performance out of someone else for a cheaper cost. Do we really need to go this route? That's why the the running back market in particular moves much slower and you don't see the same growth. We're not saying it's right. I understand why these guys want to get their money. I'd be doing the same thing, too. I'd be like, I'm not coming. This is all about, You're going to do something to help me out here. It's all about negotiating. And one side right. wants to get you know the, closer to their number. The other side. So if you're the team, you're saying six of the top highest paid running backs in the league missed time last year due to injury. I mean, yep. It's not a position where you want to invest big money and big guarantees. So Well, Lewis just hit it on the head in the best description with two words. Luxury versus necessity. Right. And that's why Melvin Gordon is not in the same category is Zeke because right now he's a luxury for the Chargers. They have Mike Williams and they have Keenan Allen and they have Hunter Henry and they have Austin Eckler and they have Justin Jackson. It is a luxury for for them to have him on their football team. It is not a necessity for that for him to be a part of that football team. And again, last year they were 4-0 without Melvin Gordon yeah. when Eckler averaged five and a half a carry. 
So the, the necessity versus the luxury is the exact way to describe these situations because they're on different ends of the p- pendulum. So the other guy we want to talk about is Michael Thomas, the wide receiver in New Orleans. He may be a necessity, right, in that New Orleans passing game. He's caught more passes his first three years in the NFL than anyone ever has. Entering the final year of his four-year rookie contract, looking for a new deal, not with the Saints as they open camp. If you're the Saints and Michael Thomas needs a new deal, how are you approaching it? Well, if I'm the Saints and I'm looking at this, I'm going, well, obviously there has to be a limit to which you can go because we are in a hard salary cap. We're dealing with a hard salary cap, but with him, I'll tell you this, people who are negotiating contracts look at data much more, okay? They're going to look at it like this. Where is the league trending? It's a passing league. Teams that are able to pass the ball efficiently have a greater chance to win than teams that can run the ball efficiently. Not to say that you don't need to run the football, but you know you pass the football, you have a greater chance at winning. Scoring is going up. Teams are not turning the ball over as much as they were in the past when they're throwing the football. So teams are going, okay, well, who affects the passing game? Your number one wideout affects the passing game. Then if you want to just look at statistics, Michael Thomas, as far as the targets and catches he's been racking up over the past two years compared to the rest of the wide receivers on his team, it's it's laughable. They have nobody else. Right. So he has leverage and he has time on his side because there's no way they're going to go out and find a number two wide receiver right now that can help you know soften the blow if he's not there. So he knows he's just going to sit back and go, Pay me. And the question is, where is that value, right? Because right. Odell leads the market right now at $18 million a year average on the five-year extension portion of that deal, which put him over Antonio Brown. However, the more accurate way, and what I'm sure Michael Thomas is, is doing for himself, is to look at Odell's contract over the first three years and know that Odell averages $20 million a year for the first three years. And this is why Michael Thomas is likely wanting to be 20 million or more, obviously, over Odell, because you know that the situation for NFL players can change in a year or two where either you get cut, traded, just like Odell, and things can change. And you want that value to be more so where you think it's commensurate with what you do over the short-term portion of that deal and whether his production merits that, which Lou just gave a great example as to why. I mean, look, when you have so no one else who's catching the ball. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, part of the issue is he's not alone here in wanting to, the big wide receiver payday, right? Julio Jones is after a new contract in Atlanta. Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper in Dallas. A.J. Green in Cincinnati. Tyreek Hill in Kansas City. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if, you're a, if you're a player in this situation, are you waiting for someone else to go first and try and top it? I mean, what's the psychology? Well, I mean, there? no, I think you got to go. You, you have an understanding and your agency has an understanding of, okay, where, where is the number? Who's got the top number right now? And if you believe you're the top guy, I want to beat that number. You, every player knows that eventually someone else is going to come and top your own number. You just want your – you've talked about this, Lewis. You want your time, whatever, how long it is. Julio, if Mike Thomas goes, Julio's coming. And if Julio goes, Mike Thomas is coming. I look at Mike Thomas this way. One, everybody knew in the stadium last year where the ball was going to go for the Saints – especially in like the Eagles game or yeah. the Rams game, yet still Michael Thomas made the play in two – I played with like a Calvin Johnson, Calvin Johnson and an Andre Johnson. It was incredible to watch the impact that they had on the other guys in the games. Helping our number two or our number three receiver get open. Helping the backup tight ends get open. Because those guys were, they committed so much attention. It's not just about Michael Thomas's production. It's about the impact that he can have on other players' production. Real quick, yeah. an interesting question is who should get paid more on the Cowboys, Amari Cooper or Ezekiel Elliott? Yeah, Ezekiel or Elliott. Dak Prescott. There was the quarterback who's looking for Ezekiel Elliott. Lots Ezekiel going on in Dallas. Amari? Odell Beckham currently the highest paid yes. wideout at $18 million a year, as Josina said. Uh, Michael Thomas looking to at least 
top that and probably go well beyond it. You see, scheduled to make $1.3 million this year. He's made less than $4 million in his career and, as we said, has been far more productive than that. We got all these players looking for contract extensions. Well, the Los Angeles Rams today extended head coach Sean McVay and general manager Les Sneed through the 2023 seasons. This is kind of from the no-brainer files. Since uh, McVay took over the Rams in 2017, all they've done is go 26-10, and 10, win an NFC title, and lead the league with more than 31 points per game. Six more NFL teams report to training camp today. That would be the Chiefs, Raiders, Rams, Cowboys, 49ers, and Bengals. And that makes us 32 for 32. Every team is in camp as of today. We are all systems go in the NFL. And you know we've got reporters all over the place. Steelers reporter Jeremy Fowler leads off our camp roundup from Latrobe, PA. Ben Roethlisberger knows he needs some of his finest quarterbacking yet to usher the Steelers' offense into a post-Antonio Brown era. Roethlisberger called his connection with Brown something special after nine years, 74 touchdowns, and 10,000-plus yards together. It's going to be hard to make up for that, Big Ben said. Luckily for the Steelers, Roethlisberger is eager for that challenge. He said he needs to improve in all areas, that his arm feels as strong as it ever has, and he senses an energy inside his team's locker room. We need to show we are a force to be reckoned with, Big Ben said. Guard Ramon Foster agrees with him, pointing out this Steelers team, yes, even without Le'Veon Bell and Brown, has enough talent to push through the playoffs. This is Sal Palatonio with the Philadelphia Eagles. Day two of Eagles training camp, number four for Doug Peterson and number four for Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz, a full go in training camp for the first time in two years. I talked to a bunch of veteran players about him. Jason Peters, the left tackle, who also missed Super Bowl 52 with Carson Wentz on the sideline, said that he thought that Carson Wentz was hungrier, had full command of the offense in the huddle, had a little bit of a swagger back. I said, unfinished business for Carson Wentz? He said, yep, unfinished business. Zach Ertz said, it's the same old Carson Wentz in many ways. The accuracy is there and the arm strength is there. I'm Courtney Cronin in Minnesota, where Mike Zimmer isn't worried about where the Vikings fall in the national narrative of expectations, seemingly diminished since last season. The only way to change perception, Zimmer said, is by proving it. As the Vikings begin training camp, their path towards reaching their own expectations starts on offense, where Minnesota added new coaches, players, and began installing a system that will best play to quarterback Kirk Cousins' strengths. For Cousins, the goal is reaching the, quote, next level of his game, which means big stats alone no longer cut it. Even with all the pressure to get there, Cousins said he isn't overhauling his approach, but rather asking different questions and aiming to assert himself more in the locker room. The quarterback knows that no matter how much progress he makes over the next month, he'll be judged on what happens in 16 regular season games and beyond. And the steps he takes will ultimately define 2019 for this team. I'm Mike Reese at Patriots Training Camp. We're on day two. Tom Brady had a Veterans Day off. And the most unique story continues to be second-year quarterback Danny Etling expanding his role to include wide receiver duties. Philip Dorsett told me he always joked with Etling that he was the Patriots version of the Saints' Taysom Hill. He can run, Dorsett told me, and guys who can run can find a place on this team. 
Etling's role as a pure quarterback is in jeopardy because the Patriots have Brady, Brian Hoyer, and fourth-round pick Jarrett Stidham, so he's trying to expand his role, and while it may be a long shot, he says he's flattered that the coaches think he might be capable of filling that type of role. Thanks, Mike. We have Adam Schefter back with us. Adam, you have news. What do you got? Dan, we've seen holdouts across the league, but for once we have a veteran who wants a new deal, who is reporting on time despite not getting that deal. Chris Jones, who had sacks in 11 straight games last year for the Kansas City Chiefs, is reporting to training camp on time today despite not having a new deal. This is a boost for the Kansas City defense. There have been some speculation that Chris Jones could potentially hold out. And in a week in which we've seen holdouts rage across the league, Jacksonville, Yannick Ngagwe, L.A., Melvin Gordon, New Orleans, Michael Thomas, Dallas, Ezekiel Elliott, Washington, Trent Williams. Chris Jones will not be the latest veteran to join that list. Chris Jones reporting to training camp with the Chiefs today. No holdout for Chris Jones. Does this place look haunted? No, I don't think so. What about those two creepy girls? Come stay with us. That is truly frightening. You know what's really scary? Missing out on Geico's great service. With Geico, you get 24-7 access to licensed agents. Uh, thank you, creepy girls. Want to see our room? Mm, we're gonna sleep in the car now. Happy geico Switch today for 24-7 access to licensed agents. Back on NFL Live and recapping our big-name training camp holdouts. Ezekiel Elliott of the Cowboys, Michael Thomas of the Saints, Melvin Gordon of the Chargers, Yannick Ngakwe of the Jaguars, and Trent Williams in Washington. Focused on Zeke, though. For more on Zeke and the Cowboys, here is ESPN Cowboys reporter Todd Archer from Oxnard, California. Dan, the Zeke watch is just about official. The Cowboys held their conditioning test in the fields behind me. And the star running back is yet to show. The conditioning test was kind of the unofficial reporting time. At 2 p.m. Pacific, there's a team meeting, so he could show up then. Before that, we'll have the State of the Cowboys press conference with Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones, and Jason Garrett. And Elliott's status will be the key topic of conversation, in addition to the talks with Amari Cooper and Dak Prescott. But Elliott takes precedence because he's not here, and the other guys are. Players I've spoken to have said the absence is no big deal. Travis Frederick said the players understand the business and really hold no hard feelings. But to Dan, it's almost like it's no big deal yet. Eventually, it does become a big deal because of what he means to this offense and the success of the Cowboys. Elliott is a big deal. He's had an awfully eventful first three years in the NFL. When he was a rookie, he led the league in rushing, smashed Tony Dorsett's franchise rookie rushing record, and was named first-team All-Pro. The following year was all about the off-field drama for Elliott. He served a six-game suspension for violating the personal conduct policy, and Dallas missed the playoffs. The last season, he got the focus back on the field, where for the second time in three years, Elliott led the NFL in rushing, and the Cowboys won the NFC East. So, as Todd pointed out, not a big deal yet, because, I mean, you know, they're just starting practice, and they're not going to run him into the ground in camp anyway, but when does it become a big deal? Mm. You know, usually <clears throat> right around that third preseason game, right around when teams have their dress rehearsal, right around when you start to really see what your team is going to look like week one when he's not there, if he's not there, then all of a sudden you start to worry. Because at that point, look, you really start really gearing in towards week one of the regular season. And then if you wind up cutting your roster down and he's still not there and then you're kind of getting into game preparation, 
Well, look, now, obviously, it's a bit of a problem. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a bit of a problem. They're 43 days away from game one, though. So it's not like you've got a ton of time. I understand it would be training camp, and he would not be getting a ton of reps. But two things that are unique about the situation is, again, the backups are rookies, so you don't necessarily know exactly what you're going to have with them. And two, they are implementing a new system. They have a new offensive coordinator, and there will be some carryover with Kellen Moore, but there's also going to be some different stuff. And as a play caller, I'm sure Kellen Moore's sitting there going, I want to know exactly what Zeke feels comfortable with in this new scheme. What does he like? What doesn't he like? So you'd love to have him there for those reps because they matter. I mean, this is a massive year for not only Ezekiel Elliott, but the quarterback and the head coach (laughs) and the play caller. And so there's a lot of ripple effect pieces that come from this decision that I understand it's just the beginning of training camp, but 43 turns into 20 real fast in camp. And so uh, at some point, here quickly, quicker than normal, you'd want him in camp. Uh, Again, I'm just trying to get this back to where this is simple. Does Ezekiel Elliott produce and do you need him? You're talking about you start to worry at the third preseason game. It doesn't even have to get there. This contract is not complicated. They've been talking about it for a long time. Things didn't just start today. So if you don't want all of those things that Orlovsky and Riddick are bringing up, you 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 know where you have to be to get it done. It's just it's just not it's just not that hard. Yeah. Todd Gurley is at 14-3. Ezekiel Elliott wants to be the highest paid. How much more do you want to do that? And that's really that's just it. Well, I mean, you know what? <laughs> I mean, contract negotiators, their job is to manage risk, right? right. So we don't know exactly how unless. Some, you know, unless Stephen Jones or Jerry Jones are going to pop up on here and say exactly, tell us exactly what your concerns are. But <laughs> if it was really that simple, then it should be done already. Obviously, they're trying to manage risk. Obviously, they feel as though, even though he doesn't have the same injury history as Melvin Gordon or right. Todd Gurley, there's some, th- there's some kind of risk involved with signing running backs inherently anyway, regardless of whether your character is great or your injury history is great or not because of the position that you play. Zeke carries some risk. I'm not saying he carries enough risk to where you don't get this deal done. It's not just risk. It's the fact that they also have to pay multiple people. Exactly. Right, so, right. Exactly, which is the, the second jigsaw point. jigsaw puzzle. And the third point is, I'll tell you this, with him not being there, Dan, as you know, the young runners are going to get some chances Reps. now. And you're going to sure. find out, and we hear it, and we see it every year. You saw it when you were playing. You see it now. Runners pop out of nowhere. In the they preseason, do. Okay? And all, sure. so all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a minute. I'm not saying these guys are going to replace Zeke. I'm just saying that you find out a little bit about They do, but every now and then you do find one that you can't live without. 26 years ago, Ezekiel Elliott was uh, Emmett Smith, right? And he held out the first two games of the Cowboys season. That was 26 years ago. Elliott, not old enough to remember, but, uh, but Jerry Jones surely does. Cowboys lost those two games and then coughed up more than $13 million to get Emmett back on the field. And they went on to win their second straight Super Bowl title. So all was well that ended well there. And then, you know, Zeke isn't the only Dallas Cowboys star looking to cash in this offseason. Quarterback Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott is uh, looking for a new deal as well. He's accomplished an awful lot during his career, his short career. He's accomplished enough to earn a big raise. But not everything is all that simple. He does still have some stuff to work on. Last season, Dak completed barely half of his passes in the red zone. Had a QBR under 25 in the red zone, which ranked ahead of only Blake Bortles' And Lamar Jackson. So, young players still with stuff to work on. Speaking of dudes that want new contracts, Saints wide receiver Michael Thomas caught more passes in his first three seasons than any player in NFL history entering the final year of his rookie deal and wants to get paid. Our invaluable Saints reporter Mike Triplett is on the scene down there in Metairie. Mike, what are they saying about Michael Thomas and his situation down there at Saints camp? 
Well, Dan, certainly nobody is surprised by this. I mean, we're talking about a guy who is scheduled to make only $1.1 million this year in the final year of his rookie deal and stands to make possibly $20 million. So, uh, you know, even though Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis said, you know, he's disappointed that a player under contract is not here, he's not going to put some sort of ultimatum on him, and they're going to continue negotiations. So in general, when we talked to teammates today, the mood, I would say, was pretty understanding and optimistic, including Drew Brees, who's been through a few of these himself. I work with him this summer, um, but uh, I haven't, haven't spoken with him in the last few days. Contract is, is part of this game, our contract negotiations, and so uh, we'll let this play out, but confident that uh, there'll be an agreement reached at some point, and when there, will, when, when there does, then, then he'll be back and we'll be ready to roll. Obviously, both sides are really motivated to get this deal done because, you know, the Saints have never relied on a guy like they rely on Thomas in this offense. His 125 catches last year set a franchise record. No other receiver had more than 28 catches on this team. What complicates it, though, is they are prepared to make him the highest paid receiver in NFL right now. But then Julio Jones, Amari Cooper, how much higher will that bar go? I think that's where they're going to have to have the wiggle room in these negotiations. Thanks, Mike. Make a great point. Michael Thomas, not the only star wide receiver looking for a new contract this offseason. You see Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill. All these guys have one year, A.J. Green, one year left on their contract. Julio Jones has two years left on his contract, but he and the Falcons have been talking about a new one for a while now. So maybe... These guys are all waiting for one of them to go first and then top it. So we'll see what happens with these wide receivers this offseason. No holdout drama in Giants camp. Their best player is a running back who was Offensive Rookie of the Year in 2018 and is gearing up for an encore. One of our most handsome reporters had a chance to catch up with Saquon Barkley yesterday in New Jersey. I'm trying to treat this camp like uh, I treated it as a rookie last year. Um, whether it's obviously I understand the playbook a lot more, but still having focus in meetings and writing down notes and paying attention to detail and the little things was in practice. So um, obviously that's the biggest difference is you know um, maintaining the little things that helped you have a great year last year um, to also have another great year. You mentioned that on your own, not letting the success go to your head. I mean, what what kinds of what about you helps you with that? I think one, who I am as a person, my personality. Two, uh, the people that surround me in my life and uh, my family, the people you know that's the closest to me will never let me. Um, if I ever did get out of myself, my mom and dad would slap me right beside my head. Coming off that great year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, what are you working on to get better at in year two? All around. Be a better player, be a better running back, be a better person, be a better leader. Um, and the way I do that is come every single day and focus on the little things um, and focus on the details. And I understand that if I can do that, I can help my team win and help my team have success and all the other things take care of itself. Camp pass time. Lewis Riddick, you were all in on Saquon Barkley last year when he was a rookie. What are your expectations for his second season? <clears throat> well, Considering the fact that they keep having wide receivers drop off like flies here in, in the beginning of training camp, I think 2,000 yards from scrimmage again is going to be what he's going to need to produce. He's going to have to go ahead and give them that multidimensional threat as a runner and as a pass receiver because they're right now they're just lacking in explosive bodies that can change the game with big plays in the way that a guy like Odell Beckham could and in, in a way like Saquon Barkley can. So, look, his workload this year, it's going to be tremendous. He has young legs. He's healthy. He's never been hurt. 
So really, the workload is going to be the same. As a matter of fact, it's probably going to ramp up here in 2019. The aforementioned Odell Beckham Jr. now making his one-hand catches in Browns practice while Eli Manning and the Giants move on without him. Eli was on the NFL Network yesterday talking about Beckham's recent comments in GQ where he said he, meaning Odell, was the reason the Giants have been in prime time. I don't think they bothered me. Uh, just, you know, you just kind of shake your head and laugh. <laughs> You're <laughs> laughing? <laughs> I mean, I think those two rings had a little bit to do with right, why yeah, they're yeah. on TV. We I won mean, a few games before he was here. I yeah, think, a know? couple of them. Yeah. So that's Eli shrugging it off like he does always most things, Glad right? So, yeah, but uh, not the greatest of news here early on in Giants camp, the receiver position. Right? Yeah, because initially we learned that Sterling Shepard had fractured his thumb. And then today we learned that Corey Coleman, somebody who was really trying to use this year to emerge, get over his past injury situations, has now a torn ACL. Not the start that you're looking for at that group, particularly when you just traded one of the top five, maybe top however many players in the entire league to another team. And now you do have Golden Tate, yeah. who is uh, going to be 30, okay? Mm-hmm. But they need some other explosive players to kind of round out the production that they need from Eli with everything that they did and all the pressure they put on themselves with the moves that they and made. Lewis said going to be a lot of Saquon Barkley. Mm-hmm. We're the- Not sure Sam Darnold is ready to carry your fantasy team to a title just yet, but the Jets are hoping for a big second-year jump from their young quarterback, under new head coach Adam Gase. Our Jack Collinsworth sat down with Darnold recently to talk about life and football and all kinds of stuff. So it's Sam Darnold, the Jets' new face of the franchise. You have to imagine the butterflies going through his stomach. Sam Darnold, the third overall pick in 2018's draft, was welcomed to the pros with a lesson in humility and the power of patience. The throw across the field, and it's going to be a pick six on the very first play of Sam Darnold's debut. So Monday night football, your first career pass, and it's a pick six. You just kind of sit back and be like, well, that just happened. Uh, how are we going to respond? And I think my teammates did a really good job of rallying me. Um, they're just like, hey, Sam, just go out there, Mo. You're, you're our guy. You're going to go out there and do well. Just, you know, that's over. It happened. Put it behind you. And I think our whole team did a great job of that. We ended up winning the game big. Um, first start ended up being a good one. So looking back on it is a cool thing. So I'm told in ninth grade you had a list of life goals. <laughs> you remember what was on the list? You guys did your homework, huh? Take a look. Attend USC. Did that. Become a sports broadcaster for ESPN. I think that's up to some of you guys later on. Become a father. Haven't done that yet. Never drink or use drugs in my life. And then (laughs) number five, be remembered as the nice one. I'd say most of those things is check, check, check. (laughs) Where, Where does the idea of the nice one come from in your life? Well, I think for me, it was just, you know, me and my sister growing up, uh, our parents just instilled it in us. Um, my dad always said, treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, that was kind of his saying around, you know, whenever we'd get in trouble or, you know, because every kid gets in trouble every now and then, you know, we'd get in trouble. We'd say something that, you know, um, we probably shouldn't have said. He would just be like, hey, just treat others the way you want to be treated. And I don't know why, but that just kind of you know, kind of left a mark in my in my brain, and you know, I just kind of ran with it as a kid, and I feel like even now it's it's still really instilled in me, and I have my parents to thank for that. And it might be that a nice guy can finish first under a new head coach and with an All Pro running back next to him. 
Darnold can build on momentum and move him into elite company as last season wound down. Darnold with the shotgun takes the snap, fires left, end zone, that's a check touchdown! What a play by Sam Darnold! Over the last four weeks of the season, who would you say were PFF's three highest graded quarterbacks? <laughs> um, shoot, Pat, Pat Mahomes. I know I, I did pretty well, uh, so I'd have to put me up there too. Um, maybe Russ, Russell. Andrew Luck, the MVP Patrick Mahomes, gotcha. and those two trailed only you. <laughs> what would you say you were undeniably better at at the end of the year? Yeah, you know, I think going from the beginning of the season, um, a little over halfway, and then getting hurt, um, I got time. I think the biggest thing was time for me mentally just to focus on what I needed to focus on, um, kind of sitting back and, and taking a deep breath, you know, taking some time off, but then also being able to watch Josh McCown play, um, watch him go about a week, um, because as we all know, you know, he you know, he was kind of telling me how to do things. He's like, oh, in the walkthrough, this is how you command stuff, and um, when things aren't going right, really get the sense of urgency up and get them going. And I'd be like, okay, I'll do that. And, you know, I'd go through a walkthrough and try to do exactly what he told me to do. Um, but it's one thing listening to what he had to say and him telling me what to do versus actually watching him do it. And I think that was one of the biggest learning experiences for me was just how to command myself every single day as the leader of the team and, and just as a quarterback. Nice job, Jack. You saw in the middle of that piece these five life goals that Sam Darnold had when he was younger. He's still young, but when he was younger than he is now. So with that in mind, we wanted to look at five quarterbacks who were drafted in the first round last year and pick just one goal for year two for each of them. So, Lewis, why don't you get us started and talk about Sam Darnold. What should his goal be for 2019? Well, I think as far as decision-making is concerned, it's going to fall under that umbrella. It's just that cut down on the interceptions 15 in 2018 which overall in the league was the second most in the NFL, tied for second most. Now, obviously, he needs to start a little bit faster, and that's going to be hard for him to do, or we'll see if it's hard for him to do, because he's learning a new offense now. He's starting over from scratch with Adam Gaze. So now, I mean, Dan Orlovsky talks about this all the time. How fast can you play as a quarterback? How quickly can you digest the information that you have in your head about what you want to do and what the defense is doing to you relative to his new offense? However quickly he can do that, will obviously lead to him being a little bit better because 15 interceptions is too much. He will have to try and cut down on that to give their team the best chance to win. Orlovsky, I know your expectations for the Browns are high. What is your Baker Mayfield year two goal? Listen, there's a musical trio group uh, that the kids listen to named Migos. Is that right? And they have a song called Walk It Like I Talk It. And Baker <laughs> oh needs to let the walk <laughs> match the talk. What just happened? Uh, that yeah, what just happened? Real. <laughs> there's yeah, a lot of hype around this team. <laughs> are you going to show us how that looks, And this man? is, Sorry. like, you're going to watch a ton of clips of games that Baker actually won. <laughs> This is what they, at the end of the day, he needs to take this team on the same journey that he did the back half of last season. Win a ton of football games, end the playoff drought, make a playoff run, because that's the expectation now in Cleveland. He went there to change the expectation and change the city, and this is his opportunity to do that, but the walk better match the talk. Josina, you were in Cleveland this week at Browns camp. What's the buzz out of there early on? Well, first of all, there's a lot of enthusiasm just because they have that star-studded roster and that optimism. You can feel it's like they're like it wasn't before. Uh, Baker Mayfield was just talking about his own goals for this season, wanting to really work on getting the ball out quicker, uh, being even more accurate, avoiding the rush, and doing that from the beginning of the season. 
all the way to the end, not just when you're coming in with the cape and the pressure is less, right? You got to do that from week one all the way now through week 17, including that bye. And then just really bringing in all of those other star players underneath you and managing that being a 24-year-old, right, at the helm and the top position. Lewis, there you go. What about Josh Allen in Buffalo? You yeah, got any what musical a, references for uh, for us on Josh? Mm, or, mm, no, no, I, I, no. Leave that to Dan. No, I don't know. I don't know. Hit me with your best shot. I, I don't know. <laughs> oh my oh, God! What is going on? That's old. What is going on? I'll tell you what. what I blame need, myself. Yes, what, he, what he needs. What he needs to do is look. He's going to have to hit his receivers with his best shot, and it has to be better than half of the time. Fifty-two point eight completion percentage. That's just not going to get it done. He's going to have to show that he can win from the pocket. Make plays on schedule as far as good decision-making and then putting the ball where he needs to put it. Josh is all over the place with that. He will have some exceptional plays where it happens in time, in rhythm, and he has one of the best arms in the NFL. But we all know it's not about having the best arm. It's having the most accurate arm. It's been a problem for him his entire career in college. It was a problem for him last year. They got some new wide receivers up there, John Brown, Cole Beasley, small catch radius guys. Not really the kind of guys that you figure you would want to go after when you have a guy like this who struggles with accuracy. So we're going to see if he can make a jump because 52.8%, sorry, Bills Mafia, you're not going anywhere if he doesn't improve that. At some point, he's going to have to get that off of his resume. Like that was At the, some point. You know, yeah, the and you know what? Yes. And people keep saying, oh, that'll come with time and it'll improve. Well, it keeps showing up. Yeah. Now, I know it's only one year. So we'll see. You're we'll talking see. about Bills Mafia? No, no junior Mafia references coming up. I got no. one for oh, you. Oh, right, wait a <laughs> I got one coming no, for you. No, 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 I don't. I don't have Allen wasn't the only Josh drafted in the first round last year, but the other one has already changed teams. Dan O. Listen, again, the kids are nowadays listening to a DJ Khaled. Oh, yeah. here we go. All I'm doing here is we win, go. Win, win, here we listen, go. Listen, Josh years ago. It's new. It just came out a couple weeks ago. Just a couple weeks he ago. He needs to like start. Like, let's win the starting quarterback job uh-huh. for the Miami Dolphins. Let's start with doing that. Win this job at all costs. You're competing against Ryan Fitzpatrick, who is a band-aid for a better sense of the word. This should be the job or the first step towards you doing something this year in your the start to your really pro football careers. Win that job. And then win your teammates over with your competitiveness or with your toughness or how you handle situations. And also, there's guys like Tua and Jake Fromm out there. Yeah, there are. Make sure that your organization in seven, eight months, sometime next February, March, April, isn't looking at any of these kids to go, do we need to draft them? Because if you win the job, you win your teammates, you win the organization and the fan base over that you could be the future, Tua is not going to be in the conversation. You know, because all the talk, you know, his first year in Arizona was everything wasn't fair, you know, he's set up to fail, you know, the offensive line, new system, all these other things. So now you're right. The job here is to be, you know, to compete, not to be fearful to compete and then win that situation. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. I can tell you this. It's not set up for success for him. No, there ain't. No matter how you look at it, we can. We can. Yeah, yeah, we can. We can. Yeah, yeah, it's we, the season of hope. Come on, it's just not. Me. But it's, it's not. It is what it is. Let's keep it real. The right. fifth quarterback drafted in the first round last year was Baltimore's Lamar Jackson. We're going to hear Lewis's goal for Lamar for year two. But first, we're going to hear Lamar talk about it. Mm. Hey, Carlin. Um, timing. I'm just trying to get better right now. I don't want to talk too much. I haven't done yet, anything yet, so they're going to talk. You know, I just got to prove it wrong, play football, get my team win games. We're going to go from there. What are your thoughts, Lewis? Look, he just has to get better passing the ball outside the numbers and down the football field. He last year, last year, remember, their offense was so scaled down and watered down. It was really play action pass over the middle, somewhere 
throws under 10 yards. When he started pushing the ball down the field outside, 11-plus yards down the field, his passer rating completion percentages fell off a cliff. And it's the same thing that that was plaguing him in college when he was at Louisville. He's going to have to improve that because I'll tell you this, you can't play just owning that part of the field. Every team wants to own the area between the numbers, but if you can't ex- produce explosive plays down the field outside, you have no shot. Now, they drafted people to do just that. Mm-hmm. They've got speedsters and they've got height on the outside now. Now he's going to have to take advantage of them. Five sophomore quarterbacks in five very different situations. We will keep an eye on all of those. Down in Carolina, Cam Newton practicing, coming off of shoulder surgery. See Cam practicing, throwing, almost throwing a towel at last night's practice. Uh, been a lot of talk about Cam and throwing motions and all that this offseason. Here is what his coach Ron Rivera had to say about it last night. But it was good. I mean, again, you know, he's been working. He's had a good, uh, you know, good offseason. He's had a good, um, you know, workout ethic um, throughout this whole time. And, you know, he's, he's again, he's, he's working hard. He's doing a lot of the good things. And, you know, always a, always a tell to see how he is tomorrow morning. But, you know, everything that, that we've been told, everything we've heard, you know, he's been working very hard at it. So real good to see. Dan, what are we looking for from Cam Newton this training camp? I mean, obviously staying healthy. There's been a lot of talk about him changing his throwing motion. He's not going to change his throwing motion. He's 30. He's thrown like this his whole life. He might try to refine it and become more efficient with it, but this is a really good football team when Cam's healthy. Uh, I don't. I, as long as he's healthy and this offensive line with Greg Little and Matt Paradise plays well, Cam's going to play at a really high level, but the throwing motion will stay the same as it should. Newton, the number one overall pick in 2011. Eight years later, the number one overall pick was Kyler Murray by the Arizona Cardinals. He's new in Arizona this year. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury is new in Arizona this year. They are going to try and run an offense, the likes of which we have been told we have not seen before in the NFL. Here's Kingsbury talking about that. There's, um, you know, teams that are doing stuff pretty wide open. Um... Kansas City Chiefs kind of jump out. Obviously, they have a special talent there at quarterback, but I think you see more and more of, of some of the college um, schemes and, and different schematics showing up in the NFL game. And, and um, so, hopefully, with how we're blending things together, we can put together a quality product on offense. Lewis, what do you expect to see from Cliff and Kyler this preseason? Well, I'll tell you what I hope to see. I hope to see <laughs> a sound protection package to make sure that this young man is able to stay upright and then display his skills because you, there's no question he's a very, very talented thrower. I think he's a guy who obviously, or rather pretty easily, could complete well above 60% of his passes, maybe throw for 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, something like that. I think something in that range would be considered an absolute slam-dunk home run, the first overall pick in the draft. But the question is, is this, look, Cliffs, he said that you're seeing a lot of the college aspects of, college, of uh, offensive football. Well, we'll see. You better protect the quarterback. We got press coverage from our 49ers reporter, Nick Wagner, who says the decision on full preseason has not been made yet, but 49ers coach Kyle Shanahan said quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo and linebacker Quan Alexander will not play in the preseason opener against Dallas, both of those gentlemen coming back from knee injuries. We told you at the top of our show that the final six teams have reported to training camp today. That'd be the Chiefs, Raiders, Rams, Cowboys, 49ers, and Bengals. That means all 32 teams are in NFL training camp as of today. Here now are some of the best sights and sounds from the first week of camps. Get down and get this money, money! 
I thought it was hilarious. I knew the ball would help. If you're not going to jump out of the airplane, don't put the parachute on. I attacked a couple chili rianos. Did you see me run? Learned you can't dodo bird things. You can't put your your head in the sand and. Look like you said you saw me running. But I'm old, so I got a kind of built-in excuse. How I look? I mean, I'm up for 500. Don't tell this Super Bowl. I think it looks pretty good. All right, I feel pretty good. I think first and foremost, just to just to improve. I found out I was on pop when you tweeted it. It's annoying. That's what it is. I was with my wife. Um, she ran some routes. She's got great hands. She's a way more athletic than I am. We're disappointed because we got our ass kicked. Individually, just to just to keep improving. Melvin's not here. You know, we don't like to talk about players that are not here. The only time that I talk about it is when I get asked about it. You know, every day to improve. Our goal here with the Cleveland Browns, as long as I'm here, will always be to win the Super Bowl. All right. Now that's the last time I'm going to say that. If you were wondering how Antonio Brown would arrive at training camp this year, the answer is in a hot air balloon. Oh my God. How about that? Nah. What's going on? Posted good. a video on Twitter and he wrote, uh, It's time to get to work, baby. Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. See what he did there? Ah. A B. Come on, guys. Hang with me here. Ghost Rider. We got uh, fullback swag here, Chiefs fullback Anthony Sherman. Arriving within the last hour to Chiefs camp in a NASCAR stock car, just the way Lewis Riddick and Dan Orlovsky used to, with a police escort. So um, stepping up his game, raising the bar for his Chiefs teammates as they arrive to camp. The stock car part of the police escort part? Sorry. One or the other. Both, actually. You, you yeah, can, they were of different minds on that, from what I you understand. Can tell, but. You can tell training camp has changed. You think? They treat Smiles. it like, yeah, everybody's like happy, like, oh, let me... Look, when I was going to camp, it was kind of like, oh, man. <laughs> What's the next six weeks going to be like? Exactly. Now, everybody's like age. a party. We're going to have a day, day off. They don't the practice anyway. We got yeah, a day off in four days. We're yeah. good. No the, hitting. The jump is next on this channel. We are going to go over to ESPN2 for coverage of the Dallas Cowboys training camp opening news conference. So if you want more football, more Cowboys, come with us to ESPN2.